Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. church come on one more time good morning church now one more time from Myerstown good morning Myerstown they're saying it you can't hear them just as they couldn't hear you all is fair now all right morning to all of you true confession honestly I did not like the song behind the bumper this time my wife listened to it she's like that's weird I know now I'm like dancing to it like I can't get it out of my head I absolutely love it Jared Berner nails it uh Again, he just knows what we need. All right? You're all fired up for God's word? Say yes. yes. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles if you would. And once you found Matthew chapter 5, you can look over to Matthew chapter 6 because that's where we'll be this morning. <laughs> Been a couple weeks. All right? Come on. Give a guy some grace. Here we go. Father, we thank you for the morning. It's your grace we need. So grateful, Lord, to have this privilege again to look into your word, frankly fired up for what you have for us today. And so, God, this is not by any of our own strength. We understand that understanding, transformation, life renewal happens by the work of your Holy Spirit, illuminating these words, bringing them to life, applying them to our hearts. God, would you do it again, please? This miraculous work, do it. Be with us now. Receive this as an act of worship unto you, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of Mission Church at both campuses said... Amen. Here we are. Can you believe it? Eight weeks. Eight weeks into our summer series. And with every passing week, what does it mean? Summer is coming nearer and nearer to a close. Nevertheless, what are we learning? Uh, We're learning that the Lord, that Jesus Christ himself, has called us to be different. So how's that going? Are you feeling a little bit different these days? Anyone feeling different? If you would turn to your neighbor and say, I'm feeling different, how about you? Come on, do it. I'm feeling different. I'm feeling different. How about you? I hope you're feeling different. I hope that was the truth. I hope you didn't just fib in church. Listen closely if you did. We're blessed. We're different because we're blessed differently. We're different because we've been called to have a different kind of impact. We're different because Jesus, uh, by his grace, has called us and empowered us to live to a different standard beyond the religiosity of the day. God's called us uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. What? 
A different standard regarding anger, a different standard regarding lust, a different standard regarding our commitments in marriage, a different standard regarding the promises that we make, a different standard regarding how we seek to retaliate, a different standard regarding the way we love our neighbor. And in light of all of this, Jesus, now we're in chapter 6 of Matthew, where Jesus is really zeroing in now. In light of this, in light of your difference, this isn't an exterior manifestation merely that I'm worried about. I'm worried about your heart. I'm worried about your motivation. I'm worried about the why. Because you can come to the Sermon on the Mount for sure, friends, and see a whole lot of what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be saying, how we're supposed to be acting. But still, every time, what does Jesus do but bring us right back down to the, to the why? And to this, he gives us a stern warning. Pastor Nate Newell opened chapter 6 for us by this stern warning from Jesus. And we haven't left this warning. This entire chapter hinges and is grounded upon this warning. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For if you do this, then there will be no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware. Drive this stake post, stake post, there it is, come on, deeply into the ground. Beware. Don't just be aware, I remember hearing in that sermon, but be wary, pay close attention, be disciplined in your perspective as you practice. What does practice mean? It speaks of intentionality. It speaks of something that we're carrying out intentionally. It speaks of a disciplined execution. It speaks about acting and taking action as you act upon. Be aware as you act. Be aware as you choose. Be aware as you speak. Be aware as you live. Be aware of what? Be aware of how you go about practicing your righteousness. Now that's weird. Righteousness here is piety. It's moral adherence. It's spiritual standards. It's speaking of divine disciplines. What is Jesus calling us to? A different kind of discipline. Every religion under the face of the earth has discipline. But Jesus is saying our discipline is drastically different than all the other disciplines that you're going to see throughout the earth. Jesus essentially is saying this. Come on. Be disciplined in your discipline of divine disciplines. How's that? Here's where we're going today. I'll say it again. Jesus is calling us to be disciplined in our discipline of divine disciplines. And for the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they love discipline. They love touting their discipline. That's not a shock to us, is it? We know these three acts, these three acts of piety that they love to parade publicly. Come on, that's a Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled pepper sentence right there. That is alliteration gone wild. Hear it again. There were three acts of piety that they loved to parade publicly before men. You remember them? What were they? What was the first one? Giving. They loved to kind of stand up and clang the coins as they went into the tray. And not only that, they loved to kind of... In case you didn't notice, I'm about to clang some coinage over here. Because I'm good at it. Because I'm practicing my piety. Look how I don't ever miss. 
The other one, of course, is giving. I mean, it's praying. And Pastor Brett last, last week kind of walked us through, and how do we pray? Oh, Lord, I know you can hear me, but I'm going to yell anyway for the world to hear because I'm good at it. And they prayed, chest up, decibels high. Why? Because they wanted the world to see. And now today we come to this one, this one, this one, this other act of piety that they love to parade publicly, and it's fasting. Love the show, almost would love to have a show of hands of those of you who fasted this past week. Certainly you've prayed Maybe in the last month. Maybe you fasted in the last month or maybe in the last three months or so you may have had a meal or something you sat aside for a real specific purpose. I don't, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know where you're kind of at on this idea of fasting, but it's fascinating to me that I don't think I've ever really heard a sermon on fasting in all of my years Of the three practices, I think this one may possibly, arguably demand the greatest amount of discipline just by its absence from many Christians' lives. You see, Jesus is calling us, though, in the midst of this, to a different kind of discipline. Jesus is calling us to a different kind of discipline. So the question this morning is this, how is your discipline? What motivates you to be disciplined? Think about other areas of life. What is it? Like when you say, it's time for me to get after it. Now I'm going to engage. I want to get after some discipline in my life. I want to, I want to, you know what helps me? If I have a goal, if I have a goal, then I'm like, I can, I can get after it. Think about this. We're in the middle of the Olympics, aren't we? And so think about what is amazing to watch is how these Olympians have worked so hard and they've disciplined themselves, right? To try to make it into the goal to try to achieve this standard, right? And they, they labor and they work hard. And all of a sudden, their entire lives are, have all led to, whoa, that was close. <laughs> They've all led to this moment. <gasps> Come on. It's hard. You want some try? Think of other goals. Think of other goals. Think of dating. Think of when we're dating. Think of some of you who are even now dating. And what's the goal of dating? Is it, oh, boy, I hope I can get married someday? That's happened, hasn't it? I've seen a lot of guys discipline themselves in the dating period, right? They bathe. (laughs) Right? They order normal portions at restaurants. You know what I mean? Deodorant's a normal thing. You know, they brush their teeth, all that. They're willing to discipline themselves because there's a goal. I am really bad at this. (laughs) You ever try to, you ever have a dream about a career, you know? You're like, I'm going to do this, right? No, I'm not. So, (laughs) what happens when you reach the goal? 
Like we get so obsessed with the bouncing and the trying and the getting after it that finally one day, oh my word, I actually did like, like I meddled, like I podiumed, I made it. I think about the age of so many of these Olympians, like now what? You know, they say amongst, amongst teams that the, the first championship is hard, but the, but the second one is even greater. It's even more elusive. The discipline, the discipline that it takes to hit the initial goal. Ooh. We all know that there's a greater goal beyond the immediate goal. We know that when it comes to dating, that marriage isn't merely the goal, but what? This precious commitment, the delight that comes. How many relationships have lost the fire after the initial goal was achieved? What about getting the job? What about entering into the career that you've wanted your whole life and you realize there's 40-hour week after 40-hour week after. Disciplining yourself for the sake of goals is not bad. But it really does depend on the goal. For there are goals and then there are greater goals. There are goals and then there are actually the ultimate goals. They're the things that actually matter, the thing that lasts beyond the initial achievement. You see, what you're aiming for will determine your level of discipline. And when you're landing on the lesser thing, your discipline will wane when the lesser thing is achieved. And this is why Jesus says three times in this chapter, the religious hypocrite, they have received their reward. They've aimed for the lesser thing. They've aimed for the approval of men. They've aimed to impress their neighbor. They've aimed to self-grandize themselves and pat one another on the back. And what is Jesus saying? They've received their reward. They're not getting one in heaven. Why? Because they nailed their target now. This is not merely a judgment. This is just a simple reality. Jesus, I don't even think, is being harsh here. I think he's just stating the obvious. Look, if you're shooting for a normal marriage, a normal marriage is what you're going to get. If you're just shooting to get a job, a normal job is all you're ever going to have. When God's called you to a life work centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ where he uses you every day for the fulfillment of his purposes. And so he says they aimed for it, they bounced their, nailed it. They disciplined themselves to impress men and they have succeeded. But as for you, but as for you, but as for you, Jesus says, you're different. You are different. We have greater goals. We have greater goals, Jesus says. Look, we don't seek to impress men, right? Do we seek to impress men? Say no. 
We have a greater goal, don't we? Who are we seeking to impress? We, our greater goal, we're, we're, we're seeking to impress God, right? Aren't we seeking to impress God? Aren't we bouncing our bows to try to impress God? Of course we are. Look at how good we are at impressing God. It is unbelievable how good I've become in my piety at impressing God. And the reality is this. Jesus is saying, no, you cannot impress God. Your greater goal, church, is not to stop impressing men and start impressing God because the reality is this. You've already arrived at your greatest goal. Jesus Christ died for you. You are now his. You no longer discipline yourself toward a goal. You now get to work from the goal. You are safe. You are secure. You are his. There is no bouncing of balls anymore as far as it pertains to spiritual disciplines. We got this? Because we start going into fasting and we think it's going to gain us a leg up on the other guy. We start dealing with like the hard one. We can start feeling really good about ourselves bouncing and moving the target and catching the ball. If we got this, we got a shot at entering into this passage. If you understand that Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to discipline, but not to reach a goal. I'm calling you to be disciplined because I've already placed you and given unto you the greatest goal, the greatest prize, the greatest reward you could ever have a relationship with me. So every one of these spiritual disciplines is a celebration of the goal we've already earned, that's already been earned for us, the goal we've already experienced. Every one of these spiritual disciplines, I want to do this because I get to live in the secure space where it's me and Jesus. See it? I felt like a whole sermon right there, didn't it? I've been off for a couple weeks. Different kind of discipline as it pertains to fasting. Let's take a look at the text. Chapter 6, verse 19. Nope. Chapter 6, verse 16. This text is so elusive I can't even find it this morning. So now, when you fast, Jesus said, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that, when you have that they have received their reward. There it is. But when you fast, I want you to anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. A different kind of discipline. Jesus is teaching it through the discipline of fasting. And so if we're going to get this right, the first thing we have to acknowledge, let's state the obvious point one, fasting is difficult. Fasting is difficult, friends. And frankly, it's hard. I think it's the least popular because it's the least fun. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Many of us as Christians aren't even sure what it's for. But the church asked us to do it, so we probably ought to, ought to try it. What's fascinating is when you look through the scriptures, you'll, you'll find it saturates both the Old and New Testament over 50 times. 
Moses, Samson, Samuel, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, David, Jesus, Paul, uh, the first century church, they all fasted. As you go back and you read through, you'll find that every one of them came to a place where they were fasting. And each and every time this phrase fasting is used, while we can abstain from many other things, fasting, however, every single time is about food. Fasting here, by definition, is to abstain or to not eat. A very simple biblical definition of biblical fasting is giving up food for a period of time to focus on God. Let's keep it simple. Fasting, very simply, is giving up food for a period of time to focus on God. Now this, read through these, you can read through these passages yourself through your own biblical theology. Do a canonical reading of the entire Bible and look at every time fasting is used and here's what you're going to find. The duration is different. The extent is different. Even the means and the way in which they fasted, it can vary. You can fast a meal. You can fast an entire day. You can do a full fast where you eat nothing. You can do a partial fast. There's no prescribed formula to follow as it pertains to this discipline. Why? For me, I think largely because it's about our heart. If there was a formula, we'd hit it and we'd feel good. Also this, very important in our day, I think it's very important to qualify this, in every instance, the spiritual benefit is always in view. Are there other benefits to fasting? You study it out yourself. I'm here to talk about the Bible. And every place that fasting is spoken of in the Bible, it always has the spiritual benefit in view. What Jesus is not doing is, he in no way, shape, or form is prescribing a diet plan here. Can I just be clear about that? Jesus is not prescribing a diet plan. But what he is doing is, a, is affirming a spiritual disruption to your diet. Fasting is not a diet plan. Fasting is a spiritual disruption to your diet with a purpose. But such disruptions are difficult. It takes discipline. Why? Because we like food. Why do we like food? Because God created our bodies to run on food. Why do we like food? Because I got muscles and I got organs and I got a brain that needs calories for food. You know why else I like food? Because God gave me a tongue. And I absolutely love the taste of food. You know why else I love food? Because God gave me a belly. And when my belly's full, I love the feeling. I love the feeling of being full. God made us to enjoy food. God has gifted us with food. Can we stop demonizing food, please? All throughout the Old Testament, God's festivals revolve around food. In the New Testament, our fellowship is anchored around the table full of food. In the end, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. God desires for us to enjoy our food. We're commanded to come around the Lord's Supper. We're 
commanded to worship him in the midst of food. In other words, food is good. In other words, we were created to enjoy it. In other words, also this, we were created to need it. We need food. That's what makes fasting so precious. We need food, which is why when I don't have it, I get hangry. Anybody get hangry? Anyone, anyone have hanger? Like, hanger is a real thing. There are many, many road trips that my wife and I have had where the time to stop was obvious. No words needed to be exchanged about actually stopping because other words were already exchanged prior to the stop. You know what I'm saying? There have been a lot of date nights that have been ruined. Right? You like the word ruined? That's Altoona. Ruined. Ruined because we took too long to pick the restaurant of choice. And hanger came in. And we didn't say a word till like, dessert. When the hanger, right, begins to subside, and you're like, okay, okay, we're good now. Do you see it, friends? Fasting is, is a special grace. Why? Because it is a legitimate sacrifice. Fasting is a special grace because it is a legitimate sacrifice. We don't fast to a neutral. We always fast to a deficit. We only fast when we give up something that we need. Come on, church, hear this. We say we fast all kinds of things. If you don't need it, you're not fasting it. You're abstaining from it, and that's great. There's a lot of things that we would be wise to abstain from. But if we've been sinning and indulging, like, you know what? I've been doing way too much of social media, so I'm going to fast social media right now. You mean like repent and get your life right? You mean stop making that an idol? Yo. Fasting? You fast from what's essential. You fast from what you need. You fast from what would kill you if you don't have it. That's why Jesus says, I am the bread of life and the living water. You got it? That's why food matters. See, in this way, it's an integral act of worship, and it blows my mind. Like, I get so fired up about this study this week. I was so wrecked after this study this week. You, you guys all know 2 Samuel 24, 24. King David says, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. You know it. This is like the closest thing we have to like something that actually costs me something. The hunger, it's real. The pains, they're there. You see, this act of setting aside that which we physically need creates a hunger, a desire inside of me. As the deer pants for the water, so, Lord God, does my soul, does it pant after you. And what happens in these hunger pangs, it sets off an alarm inside of me that reminds me, oh, yes, Jesus, you are my satisfaction. Lord, you are the sustenance of my soul. Lord, you are the one that I need to come to and cry out to in the midst of prayer. As the alarm clock of our flesh sounds, it drives us to a spiritual posture where it's only Jesus. Oh, how I've missed this for so long. At the center of fasting is the precious pursuit of God in prayer. You can pray without fasting, but dare I say you can't truly biblically fast without praying. 
which is why it's all about our relationship with the Lord and realizing that I'm not earning a thing, but I'm delighting in that which has already been provided for me. The pangs of my flesh reminding me of how my soul was perfectly satisfied in the midst of this discomfort. Some of you are auditory, audible learners. Some of you are tactile. You touch it and feel it. Aren't you glad the Lord has a discipline for you? You feel it. You live it. You experience it. Like sometimes I feel like singing is not enough. Do you ever feel that? Like, oh, I love to sing, but like, oh. It's in the light of this why getting it wrong is so detrimental. It's such a discipline. Like, it's work, and it's, it is hard, but that's where God's grace meets us, and that's why if you were to do it and then realize you did it wrong, like, how detrimental is that? That's point two. And that's exactly where these religious leaders are. Look at the text. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. You remember this? What are the hypocrites? They're the, they're the hypocrites. Need me to define hypocrite for you? It's the actors, right? It's the one who puts on the mask. It's the one who acts a different part, right? Don't act. Don't be like them. Don't put on your gloomy face. Don't put on your mask. You remember Pastor Nate wearing his Batman mask? I left it on the desk. I'm supposed to wear it right now. I've been off a couple weeks. Keep forgetting stuff. These guys, by the way, are a piece of work. Here you have like the religious leaders, like the dignified people of the day. And what are they doing? Look at the text. Look, 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 look. I, this, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For what do they do? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. The word disfigure here means to mar, distort, make it dirty. Like think about it. Like here you got these guys like. face all dirty, their hair's all, that's not happening, fair hair's all messed up. You know that, that got two services, so, and more to preach. And the face is all dirty, and then they literally, like, it's like, what are you doing? Fasting. Want to go to lunch today? I would, but the pastor asked me to fast. Why are you acting like a knucklehead? Thought you'd notice. Thought you'd notice. You see why Jesus called them hypocrites? Because they literally used makeup and costumes. They literally used makeup and costumes to appear more spiritual. And so essentially Jesus is saying, look, you got your goal. You got your goal. You got your goal, religious leaders, and you nailed it. You got your reward. People see you. But my father's got nothing for you if that's your goal. Friends, do you see why hypocrisy is so dangerous? Do you see how easily we can slip into this? They were depriving themselves for the sake of attention. They were starving their bodies. They were starting their bodies. They were feeding their flesh while deadening their souls all the more. 
This is why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. This, my friends, is why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, because they were dead inside. And what's worse is worldly rewards, like pleasing others, worldly rewards that don't have the end in view, they never satisfy. They only embolden our selfish appetite all the more. They leave us craving more attention, more attention, more attention. And what's weird is, as we lower the standard of as we get to here, like it's just so easy for us now to get there, right? That this, settling for this becomes incredibly addictive because we get the pattern now. And we get the pat on the back and we, we get the rush, but the rush gets less and less and less and less. And it appears the religious leaders couldn't get enough. How do we know? What's fascinating is, while fasting saturates the entire Old and New Testament, the command to fast only exists in one place. The Jewish folks were only asked, they were only commanded, pardon me, to fast one time in a calendar year. Check this. One time. This actually fascinated me. This kind of blew my mind as well. They're only asked to fast one time. In the entire Bible, are we commanded, were they commanded to fast? And that was on the Day of Atonement. You guys know what the Day of Atonement is? That's the most holy day on the Jewish calendar. That's the day when the priest entered the Holy of Holies. You know what happened on that day? He had to cleanse himself. He had to get himself right. The entire nation now is fasting, coming before a holy God recognizing that on this day they were focusing on the redemptive power of a holy God that could strike them dead. And the priest took his own life in his hands as he entered that holy place. And so they fasted. And so they focused on God. On this most holy day was the one day you must fast all eyes on me. Is it any wonder that God does not strike us all dead for our hypocrisy? That we would use, that they would have used this discipline of fasting, which the nation was commanded to do once a year to focus on the holiness of God. And here they are making it all about themselves. Luke chapter 18, verse 12 reveals that the Pharisees were fasting twice a week by this point. One source that I was studying this week uh, claimed this, that the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, they were claiming that they chose these two days because these were the two days uh, that Moses went up on the Mount Sinai, got the law, come back down. Remember that? Well, it just so happens, though, this, uh, this source uh, revealed to me, not only could it have been those days, but one thing we knew for sure is those were actually the market days. Like that was the day when people were coming to town. That's the time when the city was super busy. Like that was when they would have had their greatest audience. You see what's going on here? Every actor needs an audience. Do you? As a man who stands before you each and every week, I better ask myself the same question, right? Jesus says you're different. I saved you to be different. Gotta go chasing the applause of men. Like you don't have to. Fasting reminds us that we've been freed of the rat race. Fasting 
reminds you, spouse, it frees you, spouse, from having to meet the every need of the other. Fasting reminds us, business person, that you'll never make enough. Fasting reminds us What's it reminding you of right now? What I love about fasting is there's not one person on planet Earth that can't get the application once you understand it. Because every person in this room will desire lunch today. Every person in this room will desire to eat today. What a grace of God. What a grace of God that he makes his spiritual disciplines low. Are they hard? Yeah, this one's hard. But it's right there. It's on a shelf that every person can reach. You're like, Pastor, but I'm not sure it would be wise for me to skip a meal. Cool. Talk to your doctor and see what's healthy. See what's appropriate. The point is not the parameter. It's not the schedule. It's not the, it's not the do this and check the box. It's the, I want to feel some hunger to remind me that it's satisfied in Jesus. That's the point. And it's here where we find that fasting can be a delight. And it's here is where we can realize as biblical Christians, as New Testament Christians, that fasting can actually become a delight. It's been this discipline. It's been this odd thing that I haven't been able to figure out for so long. And and here I am. And and even this word delight can really mess us up. We have a tough time delighting in easy things and precious things, right? Let alone the hard things. And I'm saying it. Yes, I believe that we can delight in this. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, but when you fast... When you fast, what the Lord is asking of you, what the Lord has always wanted of us is what? That we would anoint our heads and wash our face. That our fasting may be, not be seen by others, but rather by our Father who is in secret. Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen. In other words, Jesus is saying this. When you fast, would you please act normal? Like, would you please act like, stop acting like a knucklehead? Like, would you please stop slumping your shoulders? Would you please stop hinting at the fact that you're doing it? You're like, normal? Pastor, I don't know what you're doing in the morning, but anointing my head is not part of the normal process. How in the world are you telling me Jesus is saying act normal when he wants me to anoint my head? Well, it's a good question. It's a cultural reality happening here. And so what we need a hint, we need a hint before we go running to commentaries and other places, we can actually look at the text of scripture and let the text help us understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says anoint your head because what does he say next? Anoint your head and do what? Do what? Just say it out loud, do what? Wash your face. Say it, say it louder. How many of y'all washed your face today? Never mind, don't raise your hand. How often do you wash your face? When do you wash your face? 
I'm amazed by how many times you ladies wash your face. I could use a little more washing up in my face, but you guys got me on that one. Why do you wash your face? Now let me ask you this. Anybody like to take a shower? Weird question at church, I know. Maybe baths your thing. Hygiene, that's what we're talking about here. Wash my face, why? I take a shower, why? I worry about hygiene, why? So I don't stick out for inappropriate reasons. I want you to take a shower, I want you to take a bath, I even want you to anoint your head and wash your face, why? So when I get my smell back, I don't smell you when you come near. So you don't stick out, so you don't stand out for inappropriate reasons. You see, the anointing of the head and the washing of the face was part of normal hygiene. It's the exact opposite. It's just the exact, always act normal. You got to go down spitting in the dirt and rubbing it on your face and shoveling your hair and putting sackcloth on and, and acting all like I look at me. He's saying, just would you do me this favor? You want a real testimony for Jesus? Make the difficult look easy. Make the hard thing look normal. That's your testimony. Some of you are going through a tough time right now. What is your testimony? I didn't even know you were going through that. You made it look like it was normal. That's why community is so important because we got to get close to each other. Otherwise, we'd never know. Now, we bear, don't mishear me. We bear one of those burdens. Yes, you need to share these things. But what I'm saying is when you go objectively and engage in a spiritual practice, you get one ounce of, I hope somebody finds out about this. You get one, you get one. Kind of hope. Somebody asked me to lunch today. I kind of hope. I kind of hope. Think of it this way. You're casting a shadow upon the glory of the Lord. That's why hypocrisy is so deadly. When you make it about yourself, you cast a shadow upon the glory of the Lord. And Jesus says you're different. You're different. I've given you the strength to make the difficult thing look normal. I want you to wash your face. This is precisely Jesus' point. They didn't have showers, but they sure did anoint their heads. Jesus is saying you're different. Dare I even suggest the implication may be replace your sackcloth for a smile on that day. Work hard to go the other way. Why? Because you're going to earn something? No, because you actually are striving to delight in the presence of the Lord. You're being reminded that as far as the east is from the west, the Lord has forgiven my sins. That which I was sorrowful over, the joy of him is overcoming that. That's the, 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 the greater the hunger pangs become, the greater the reminder, not the greater the penance. See it? You don't get more spiritual oomph because you got hungrier than the other guy but you might get a little stronger reminder of the glory of the Lord. Be different.
This is why I say for the believer, it's all about the presence of Jesus. It's all about the lighting and the power of Jesus. It's all about adorning and being a part of and recognizing that we are children of the most high, glorious Jesus. This is why it becomes a delight. And you may be sitting here, some of you Bible students, rightfully asking this question, Pastor, I, I, I kind of think I know what you're talking about, but like, isn't like, I remember, I remember like, People putting on sackcloth and repenting and getting gloomy in the OT, right? Isn't, 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 isn't repentance all about humility and sorrow and grief? And just, isn't there even some despair throughout, throughout biblical history surrounding, surrounding fasting? And I would say yes. Which leads us to the follow-up question then, which is how can it be a delight? And the answer is this. It's found in our motivation for fasting. What is our motivation of fasting now in the New Testament? Is to seek the presence of the Lord. We fast now as New Testament Christians so that we might seek the presence of the Lord. We don't fast to earn something. We don't fast to achieve something. We're not after a goal. We're doing it from a goal. Not for the approval of God, but from the approval of God. And so then when do you fast? When do you fast? Logical question now. Come on. When do you fast? Remember, Jesus does not prescribe a schedule or a formula. So the answer is what? We fast when we desire to grow close to the Lord. We fast when we desire to grow close to the Lord. I have a conversation with y'all. I'm feeling a little dry right now. Fast. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. Try to fast. Remind yourself, whatever you're going through, do I need that? Do I need that? Do I really need that? No, I need food. I won't die if I don't have that, but I will, I will die if I don't have enough food eventually. That's what fasting does. It brings right into perspective what we truly need. And what we truly need is the bread of life and the living water. This is it. And so we fast when we desire to draw close to the Lord. Now hear me, we don't fast to draw God close to us. Very important distinction. God's near. God's omnipresent. What are we fasting for? We fast to draw our attention to his nearness. We fast to draw our attention to his nearness, for God does not wander off. But my attention span certainly does wane. Come on, church, this is a party. This is like a kind of a moment. We fast to be in the presence of the Lord. Now check this, in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. Why can it be a delight? Follow me on this. Why can it fasting be a delight? Because we fast when we desire the presence of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, amen? This is why John's disciples came to Jesus in Matthew chapter nine, verses 14 and 15. Come on, keep your thinking caps on for me for a couple more minutes. It's gonna get good. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you, Jesus, and your disciples do not fast? I'm about to deep, this message is about to get awkward, isn't it? Yeah, a whole message on fasting, now all of a sudden Jesus' disciples don't fast? rut -row. Why do we, John's disciples are saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? Listen to what Jesus said. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
Can the wedding guests grieve and mourn and fast while the bridegroom is with them? But listen, listen, listen. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. And so while we church, hear it, while we church, we, the assembled church, the bride of Jesus Christ, while we gather bride, while we gather church, and we wait for our bridegroom. You catch it? While we're waiting, while we're in the absence of our bridegroom, Jesus said, listen, my disciples, when they're in my presence physically, when they were with him, they're not fasting. Why? Because in my presence is the fullness of joy. But now Jesus is gone. And now that he's physically from us, we have his spirit within us. And so for the very reason why his disciples didn't fast when he was on on the earth is the very reason why we ought to fast now that he's gone. You see it? This is the joy. This is the delight that it's here in the midst of the fast, not for the approval of men, but ultimately the glory of God, that we get to delight in the presence of God. The only one who can satisfy the hunger and thirst of my soul. Jesus says, when you fast, The day will come when my people will fast. Church, that's now. That's us. This isn't a have to at all, is it? Oh my word, I want to be with Jesus. Oh my word, I get to delight in the presence and the glory of Jesus. Oh my word, I get my soul to be satisfied. And so throughout the scriptures, God's people have demonstrated reasons to fast. Maybe some of these practical reasons will help you even today. In times of sorrow, isn't that a time when you want to draw close to the Lord? Fast. Consider fasting. 2 Samuel 12, 16, David fasted and pleaded for his son's life to be spared. 2 Samuel 3.35, he, he fasted when, when Abner died. When I, what I think is fasting about uh, in the midst of, of grief is that uh, fasting even there is natural. You lose your appetite when you grieve, don't you? And there is a sense to where even in the, in the grief, there's a, there's a naturalness to our, to our fasting. Well, we'll turn that, that natural fasting as a reminder that, that God is meeting me in the midst of this pain and this trial and this burden that I'm carrying right here. When you're in the midst of danger and fear, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, King Jehoshaphat called the entire nation to fast. When they were threatened by the attack of the Moabites and the Ammonites, think about Queen Esther, Esther chapter 4, verse 16. Queen Esther, her servants, all the Jews and all the capital city, they fasted for three days before she went to the king asking for the sparing of the people from Haman's plan. Come on, why do we fast in times of sorrow? When do we fast? In times of danger and fear. When do we fast? In times of repentance. Oh, when do I need to be reminded of the presence of God when I'm deep in the trespasses of my sin and I need to be reminded my God has saved me. My God is with me. My God is still, he will not leave me nor forsake me. I can confess my sins and he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And some of you haven't felt forgiven and you wonder, is there a tangible thing that I could do? Try fasting. Not to earn God's forgiveness. But with every pang, with every pang of the flesh, you're reminded of what the Bible says. 
as far as the east is from the west, I've forgiven And so we fast in times of repentance. Think about all of Nineveh. Think of all of Nineveh who just fell upon their faces at the decree of the king and they mourned and they fasted. We're entering into an important task. When you have a major decision in your life, think about Jesus entering into the work of ministry that his father called him to. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. They do not prescribe that one. That is not a prescription. Do not try the 40 days and 40 nights. But what does the Lord leave for us here? A model. What was he doing in the wilderness but, but meeting with, with his father, with the, with the one, the triune God assembled. Here we have it. When we seek direction, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, the church in Antioch was worshiping and fasting when Paul and Barnabas were set apart to the work of missionary service. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, the church fasted and prayed before elders were appointed. Friends, when do we fast? You don't need an explosion to fast. You don't need to sin to fast. You don't need a major decision to fast. You don't need to fall into sin to fast. You just need desire to delight in the glory of God. And that might be the purest fasting of all. Verse 18, Jesus closes with this, this section with this, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will be the one who rewards you. He's already rewarded you. He's offering you the gift of salvation. He's offering you these spiritual disciplines as a means of basking in his glory, as an act of worship which is costly unto us for sure. But as the hunger pangs come, let us be reminded of this. Jesus is our living water and our daily bread. Amen. Would you stand with me here? Lord, today we're reminded of your goodness. Father, today we are reminded that you are our sustenance, you are our strength, you are our portion. You are the giver, author, and sustainer of life. Father, I have missed over the course of years so many of the implications surrounding this discipline, surrounding this joy, surrounding this privilege. Father, the fact that you've granted us this privilege as a get-to, not as a have-to. Father, that you are the focus, that you are the centerpiece, that you are the joy, that you are our reward. Oh, God, we praise you for this. Father, even now in this room, we consider those among us who have yet, who have yet to experience the treasure and the reward that you are. Oh, God, would you please introduce yourself to them right now. Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
The Bible says that we are of all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in light of these sins, the wages of that sin is death, a physical death, but also a spiritual death for sure, a separation from him forever. But the scriptures go on to say, but even in the midst of our sin, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, the son of God, came and died for you. So that now, if you would confess your sin, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You'll receive the reward of heaven. No more bouncing of ping pong balls. No more striving to try to be perfect. No more trying to earn God's favor. The guilt gone. The chains released. This is it right now. Pray where you are. Confess to the Lord that you're a sinner and you know you need a savior. Ask his son. Ask him for the reward, the precious reward that is his son. And the Bible says you'll be made new. Father, may this be our focus. May this always be our focus. Less of us, more of you. We lay it at your feet even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.